All right, good evening, everyone. I, like you, am plugged into all of my devices, and, um, and we have a, a, a tendency sometimes to be worried about things and overwhelmed with things. I think that's the job of the news media, to keep us worried and bent out of shape about this, that, and the other. And I just want to say this, everything is happening exactly the way the Lord said it was going to. And if nothing else, we should be able to take comfort in that and rejoice in that. There's something that feels uh, very unsettling, natural about coming to church and during the midweek when your mind is on your problems, on the things that, that plague us, on the things that... Just a second, I'm turning this on. All right, I think it's on now. Very good. And uh, there are things that plague us and things that sort of wear us out. And so uh, I want to get our minds completely off uh, any troubles of this world, and I want to fast forward to something that I, I think maybe on a certain level doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to preach tonight. Um, and before I give you my title this morning, uh, this evening, I want to say this: when I was a, a younger preacher, I, I still think I'm a young preacher, but uh, when I was a younger preacher in my 20s, I remember asking my pastor at that time, "Of all the times you preach, how?" often do you know that you're preaching exactly what God wants you to preach? We would hope that a, a preacher, a, a man of God, would get somewhere by himself with the Lord and that he would pray and see God's face and then through some, some means of discernment he would come up with what the Lord wants him to preach. And I've always found that to be one of the most difficult aspects about preaching and pastoring is knowing what to preach and when. I don't have a lack of material to preach. It's just knowing what the Lord might want for this people at this moment. Well, today's not been any different. And my, my pastor back in those days was probably a, a little bit younger than I am now. And he boastfully said, I would say maybe 95% of the time I know that I'm preaching what God wants me to preach. And that was very discouraging for me as a young man. And I thought, oh, my soul. I thought, wow, I've got a lot of growing to do because I feel so intimidated uh, even back then and up to this very moment, wondering, am I preaching exactly what the Lord wants me to preach? And then one day I was, um, <clears throat> is it okay if I say the, the R word here? Dr. Ruckman? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay, okay, all right, good. <laughs> okay, I was uh, in a conference uh, with, uh, with Dr. Ruckman one time, and he was doing a, uh, that, that, that's the R word, and, uh, and uh, I, I just wasn't perfectly sure. I didn't want to ruin the whole evening. <laughs> And, uh, and so he, he, did, he said, we're going to do a time of questions and answers. And so I quickly slipped up my hand. You know, everybody else was asking, you know, what about the great deeps and, and what about this and UFOs and the mafia and all this crazy stuff. And I raised my hand and I said, Dr. Ruckman, I said, you've been preaching a long time. I said, of all the times that you preach, how often do you feel confident that you're preaching exactly what, you, what God wants you to preach? And he stopped and he rolled his tongue around in his cheek a little bit. And he looked around he said, I'd say about 30, 33% of the time. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, wow. He said, brother, he said, sometimes it's just a, it's just a gamble. It's just a roll of the dice. You, you don't always know. 
And I have to tell you, I, from the time, literally from the moment that your pastor asked me to come back and preach on Wednesday, I've not only shot up flare prayers, but I have spent time with the material that I have available to me. And I've prayed, and I don't have any clear indicator as to what I'm supposed to do. Other times I do. So this evening, it's, it's good. we're going to see what's going to happen. We'll see if it's going to either be good or you're going to say, Pastor, brother, I don't know why you preach that. So we'll see. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, first to Psalm chapter 33 in verse 4. Uh, for those of you maybe that were not here uh, last time we were here, I'm Thomas Castellaw. My wife is in the nursery. Uh, she's Miss Angie, and uh, we've been married 27 years. We've been in Germany for 30 years all total, 27 as missionaries. And, and we're going now to Hawaii, particularly to the military in Hawaii. There are 50,000 of them there. And uh, we're looking forward to leaving next month. So Lord willing, on the 1st of October, we'll be on a plane heading over. And, uh, and, and Lord willing, we'll be able to try and get started, even though it's a Democratic-run state and they're taking uh, this COVID thing to extremes. They're arresting anybody who's found on the beach. They, they, uh, and let me say this real quick, too. Uh, I stopped to get gas um, uh, uh, just on the way over here, and uh, they militantly barked at me because I just poked my head, and I just wanted to ask a quick question. I didn't need to pay for anything. Just said, can I ask a quick question? And four or five people barked at me. Put your mask on, sir. Put your mask on. And the way things are developing right now, it's all going in the direction of public control and uh, each individual being scanned and analyzed. Are you dangerous to this society? Do you have the mark? Do we know who you are? It's all going that direction, just like the Lord said it was. And so if, it, if the Lord is not worried about it, why should we be worried about it? If the Lord said it was going to come, shouldn't we just sit back and enjoy the ride? I mean, I understand it's not going to be the good old days whenever those days were. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever taken that good old days thought and looked back through history trying to find those good old days. Was it the Vietnam War? Was it the Civil War? Was it World War II? Was it the Korean insurrection? What, when, when were the good old days? <laughs> so I don't know that we've ever had really good old days. Maybe when we were kids and we used to lean our forehead against the window as mom drove down the street and we looked at the clouds and the, we just didn't know anything. Those were pretty good days. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I want to I preach something to you this evening uh, called, or asking a question. Now, please don't just turn off when I say this because I know that this subject uh, has a certain reaction to it. But are you qualified for the battle of Armageddon? That's a strange title, I know that. But there is coming a battle up soon, and it's a very, very real thing. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to send from heaven, uh, first with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise. But seven years after that, the Lord himself is going to come back on a white horse, and he's going to be bringing people with him. But the question is, are all Christians going to go? And let me, let me say this also, because I understand there's some older people amongst us this evening uh, I don't feel like I did when I was in my 20s and 30s. I don't feel as peppy or, or, or as ready to grab a sword and run to a battle uh, as I used to. But uh, I'll say this, the desire to be part of that is not dependent upon the way we feel now. There's a spirit, spirit, an eternal spirit in every one of us that drives us, that gives us a desire to want to be part of that, to, to be involved in and not be a wallflower in that day. So trying to get our minds off some of the things that are going on now, let me, let me try to prepare your minds just by way of a few verses this, this, uh, this evening. Let's ask the Lord's blessing and then we'll start immediately. 
Lord Jesus, I commend to you, Lord, this church, and I pray, Father, that as I preach this evening, that it's a blessing and that it's a help, and that, Lord, the mind is stimulated, and, Lord, the Spirit of God is, is, uh, um, uh, abs has absolute freedom to say and, and to affect us in the way, Lord, that you would like. Uh, Father, I know we are a sinful people. We've, we've thought sinful things. We worry about things we shouldn't worry about. We think about things we shouldn't think about sometimes. Uh, Lord, we're, we're, we put more emphasis on things of the flesh and the world oftentimes than we do things of the Spirit and of eternity. And Lord, so I pray, Lord, even as you uh, asked us, Lord, that you'd please wash us by the blood of Christ and that you please forgive us, Lord, of, of being so frail and uh, yielding to our flesh so often. And I ask that you do something special this evening, Lord, in the hearts of your people. Lord, help uh, to arrest the minds and the hearts of every per person present. And may some terse word or phrase that's said be used, Lord, to, to take someone in their mind uh, where you would like for them to go to cause them to think about uh, their relationship to you, their future, and, uh, Lord, their desires, Lord, until, until we meet you in that day. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd receive the preeminence in all of these things and that you'd be glorified. And, uh, Lord, we are aiming primarily to please you uh, through their attendance and listening and through my preaching. Uh, but, Lord, if we please you, we know, Father, that your blessing will be upon us. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, again, trying to get your minds off some of these things, the end of the tribulation, the Lord is going to destroy his enemies. Now, I remember getting saved at 15 and turned on to the Bible at 18. Now, imagine me as a skinny 18-year-old filled with testosterone and just sinew and muscle and no discernment. <laughs> Absolutely no discernment. I was thrilled when I learned about the tribulation and the Lord coming back to settle the score. Uh, uh, but I, wanna, I want to appeal to your sense of righteousness this evening. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is right. I can't tell you how many times I've read verses like that and thought, duh. <laughs> Just duh, of course it is. The word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Again, duh. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now, you know that's not true. You know that's not true. At this moment, the earth is not full of the goodness of the Lord. Therefore, this is something that is yet to come. Can you imagine? My wife and I got into a long discussion the other day. Uh, we're both college educated, and we've both been saved over three decades and uh, we got into a long conversation the other day about, can you imagine a world without sin? Can you imagine uh, all of the joblessness, no more security guards, no more locksmiths, no more, you know, just imagine. It's so difficult to imagine what this world would be like in perfect peace and righteousness, where everybody's happy and engaged and loving their neighbor. It's almost so ethereal that, that you, you just want to just dismiss it because you, you just can't even imagine how good it's going to be. So when I got saved, I don't know why you got saved. There's all kinds of reasons to get saved. But when I got saved, not only was I not interested in going to hell, but I did it because it was right. When I was, sa when I, when I was raised, my mother uh, had big brown eyes and she would often pull me up nose to nose and she would just look back and forth and back and forth into my little brown eyes. And she would lecture me and she would say, Tommy, do right. Tommy, do the right thing. Tommy, if nobody's doing the right thing, you do the right thing. I heard that so many times it became part of the way I thought about things. And thank God for a mother who would take time to do that to her boy. When they presented to me Jesus Christ crucified, 
risen from the dead, and that I understood it was a payment for my sins, one of the reasons, the motivating reasons why I decided to trust Christ was because it was right. It would be wrong to leave Jesus hanging, as the saying goes. Don't leave him hanging. You know, somebody puts a hand out to shake your hand and they don't come back to shake your hand. You left them hanging. Well, leaving Jesus Christ hanging in this sense obviously means he died on the cross. He went through all of that and somebody rejects him. It's just, it's mean. It's unfair. It's unrighteous. It's not right. So one of the most logical reasons to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior is because it's just the right thing to do. And it would be wrong not to for him, for you, and for everybody else involved. Frankly, I am tired of unrighteousness. We were talking at the dinner table tonight about, every, uh, we didn't say this, but, but every toothpaste commercial has a beautiful blonde in it. And the implication is, if you buy this Colgate or Crest toothpaste, then all of a sudden your wife is going to turn into this gorgeous model. That, that, that's why they do it. And they show you these beautiful teeth that have been digitally altered. Nobody's teeth looks that good. I mean, they sell spring water with beautiful people. We are surrounded by lies. Uh, you, you see an offer for a credit card, and down at the bottom of the website or at the, 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 the application, there's this much text in a font one. I mean, font 10 is what normal people read, 12 if your eyes are a little bit bad, 14 and 16 for those. I put my prayer letter out in a font 16. I'm talking about a font one where you need a magnifying glass to read it, and it's filled with so much legal jargon, you have to have a doctor's degree in law to understand, really, sign up, we're going to get all your money and all the benefits we said we're going to give you, you're not going to get them. It's worse in America than it is anywhere else that I've ever seen. Americans are really, really, really bad about those kind of things. As a man, I long to do something about it. I was in a church one time in, uh, <coughs> in Ohio, as a matter of fact, and they had a tank in their front yard. They had a militia in their church where they put on BDUs and have military practice on Saturdays. For me, that's overboard. God didn't call us to make this earth perfect through military force. Uh, that would be post-millennialism. Uh, but, but I do understand Antifa. I understand the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys and the Antifa, if you've been watching the news at all, those are the two that recently fought in a couple of cities, and they're open with sticks and battens and shields. and ha Why are they doing that? A lot of people look at them and say, oh, they're just all nuts, but there's a reason that they're doing it. They all have their idea of what's good and right, and they're willing to fight for it. And they're willing to take pepper spray and they're willing to be hit upside the head by the police or from somebody else. Look at Titus chapter 2 with me. Let me show you where the Bible redirects us in the case of righteousness. Uh, I, I can imagine that every person here has a sense of, well, you remember the old days, the good old days when there was a bad guy and a good guy, and at the end there was a big conflict, and there was a, a beautiful girl strapped to the, to the railroad traps, uh, tra tracks, and this train was coming, and the man on the white horse was galloping, and, his, and the horse put down those back legs and just slid, and he jumped off the horse while the horse was still sliding, and he untied the girl and pulled her up into his big masculine arms right as the train went, and everybody in the theater went, yay, the good guy won. And the bad guy got hit by the train and the credits begin to roll the end. And nowadays you've got a bad guy and a really bad guy. Yeah. 
And they're both bad guys, and the bad guy gets the girl, he robs the bank, he gets the money, and you have the feeling, if you ever watch a show or a movie or anything like that, you, you get the feeling of, eh. It doesn't answer what God planted in us. A sense of the good guy on the white horse getting the girl. Y'all know what that is. That's Jesus Christ coming back after the, after the tribulation on a white horse. He scoops, after he scooped up his girl, and he rides off into the sunset after killing the enemies. That is what we want. That's what our hearts beat for. Uh, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 it says, Looking for that blessed hope and a glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we're supposed to be planted. We're not supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. We're not supposed to be looking for the middle of the tribulation. We're not supposed to be looking for the next brother who has some bad doctrine. We're supposed to be looking to Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to say this. I've been saved about 30 plus years, and I have taken my eyes off the Lord a number of times. Uh, there are illustration after illustration. If you are an IFR rated pilot, as opposed to a VFR, VFR is visual, instrument rating, and an IFR is instrument. You have to look at your instrument panel and you'll have vertigo. And if you listen to your inner sense of balance, you will fly like this right off into the ocean because the plane, the horizon will play with your senses. If we try to navigate this world based upon our own fleshly human understanding, our sense of sight, smell, taste, etc., a feel, we will fly into a mountain. We must keep our eyes on the instrument panel like this in order to fly straight. If we fail to, <coughs> we will crash and burn as many, many Christians and church, whole churches are doing nowadays. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, I, I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard on the second coming of Christ and how excited I have been and how passive I have been. There are times when I've heard excited preachers get up and try to reinvigorate the congregation with the idea that Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to set things straight and you should be very interested in that. And yet, be in a place in life where we're so overwhelmed with our sister, our aunt, our cousin, the bills, the lack of income, the car needs a new radiator belt, it needs this, that, the other, and I got to pick this up at the store. If I don't, I got to pick up the medicine at the pharmacy, and you're just, you're overwhelmed with the here and now. And the Lord Jesus Christ is still going to return from heaven with a shout. I have to say this, uh, let me just ask this. Are you happy that Trump won as opposed to Hillary? Most Christians say yes. It's hard to give a hearty amen. I wouldn't want Trump for a, for a marriage counselor or for a pastor. Uh, but but he, I'm so glad that he is the president that he is. I pray to God. I actively pray to God that he gets reelected. Why? Because he, unlike 99.7% of all the politicians that we know, he has done what he said he was going to do. And the things that he's done has been pretty amazing. Is he a dirty man? Yes. Has he been a womanizer? Yes. And we're not going to get full satisfaction until Jesus Christ comes back. We're just not going to get it. So in the meantime, we've had to satiate our sense of righteousness with Fox News. If you watch Fox News, Greta Van Susteren, which I don't think is there anymore, she's a Scientologist, I believe. 
uh, uh, the, the um, uh, almost all, many of them are Roman Catholics. Uh, Bill Riley was a Roman Catholic. I know Neil Cavuto is a Roman Catholic. I mean, I don't think, I think they put Huckabee in there, who's an electric guitar playing backslidden Baptist preacher. If that makes you angry, that means that your sense of righteousness is calibrated with Fox News. And if I say something against your favorite commentator, you're offended. But your favorite commentator ought to be Jesus Christ. Your excitement, your hope of joy ought to be calibrated to heaven and to God's word and his comments on these subjects. It's amazing to me that I can make Baptists mad about talking bad about Fox News. <laughs> because all you see is Fox News and CNN. Well, listen, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more to life than Fox News and CNN. Jesus Christ is coming back and I, will, I refuse to allow myself to be calibrated to any lower standard. Until that day, I'm grateful that it's Trump and not Hillary. And boy, if Biden gets in, oh my soul. Let's not even talk. I mean, just what, what in the world's going to happen there? Come to, come to uh, Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 11. I want you to see this one. I'm willing sometimes to read verses quickly uh, because you know them so well. But I want you to see this one. Maybe you've never seen it. I would like personally to see Bill and Hillary in handcuffs being, do, doing the perp walk from a squad car to the jail. I would enjoy that. It's, it's not because I'm evil. It's because they're evil. Do you know how many people have died around the Clintons? Do you know how many people, how many scandals and how much junk has happened? There is more material on that. But again, I'm not going to get bogged down in those things. I'm just trying to appeal right now to your sense of righteousness. A desire in you to want what's good and what's right. And listen, folks, listen. It's easy in the day and age that we live in to give up on that. If you've been deceived in a contract, if you've been beaten in a court battle because somebody had a more expensive lawyer than you, if you've gone through a divorce when she said or he said, I love you and I will until the day we die, and now you're giving up half of your income or receiving half of somebody else's income. <laughs> Sorry. If you've experienced these kind of heartbreaks, it's very easy to look at the Bible and say, yeah, you made promises to whatever. But the fact is, the Lord is true. He's righteous. He loveth truth. And he is coming back. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 11, with, look with me in verse 20. But O Lord of hosts that judges righteously, that judges the reins and heart. And then Jeremiah said this. Let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I revealed my cause. Now listen, we, we have the idea sometimes that a slap in the face like this. Say, turn the other cheek, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Christians have mistaken vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay with passivism. We are not pacifists. We are longing for righteousness still. If, some, if a man were to come in the room, uh, I know in many Baptist churches, and, and he were a Muslim and he had an AK-47, in most of the churches that I've been in, that man will meet Jesus that day one way or another. And if you have a dead Muslim man in the church building with a pile of, I'm not going to, for the kid's sake, I'll not be so graphic. But, and he's laying there next to his AK-47 and they're coming with a, with a car to take him away. I say, praise God. It's righteous. Okay. It's righteous. If a man comes in here to do harm to you, to me, to our kids, and we stop him, that's righteous and it's good. 
It would be a travesty if we weren't prepared for something, such a thing as that. But Jeremiah said, let me see thy righteousness. I long for real righteousness. I, I have been burnt in life. I have been stuck. I have been left hanging many times. I've been disappointed by the brethren. Uh, my wife has disappointed me. I've been disappointed extremely bad by the man I look at in the mirror when I brush my teeth. And yet I've still not given up. Come to Jude, verse 14, if you would. Jude 14. I long for real righteousness. You know what they play down in New Orleans, New Orleans, as they say, New Orleans. What they, what they play down there at the football games. Bam, ba da da and they just go on and it just gets wilder and wilder and wilder and wilder. And what are they talking about? They're talking about a football team coming onto the field and taking a little leather ball across a line more times than the other guys with the different jerseys. They have no idea what they're singing. What they're singing is, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, Lord, a prayer, I want to be in that number, which number? When the saints go marching in. That's a song that they've perverted. They've made it worldly. They've, the, the world has stolen it and used it for their own purposes. <clears throat> Jude verse 14 there's something very curious that shows up here. Now, we need to slow down just a little bit. I need to show you something curious that shows up. And uh, I'm not going to be hyper-dogmatic about this, but there's something curious that shows up in this verse. It's what arrested my attention and got me looking at these things. In Jude, verse 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his angels. No, of his saints. To do what? To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard, of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now the Bible says something very curious here in verse 14. He comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to go through the scriptures. We'll not do it because this is not a Bible study. But if you were to go through the scriptures and look at the way the Lord describes numbers, 40 and 2,000. He describes them three score and 10. He, he describes them with various nomenclatures, ways of showing. Now, this right here, if I'm not mistaken, it says 10,000 of his saints. Now, I've run this by a good number of people. The highest number that that could be is 99,999. Otherwise, he would have said hundreds or hundred thousands. He, there's so many different ways that he could have described that number, but he said tens of thousands. Now, I want you to stop and think with me for a minute. If the Lord's coming back with no more than 99,999, it's less than 100,000. Now, I have a question for you. From Calvary to 2020, how many people do you think have been saved? If you were to break it down by the seven continents, I've done all this. If you were to break it down by the seven continents per year, it's been 2,000 years. It is impossible to come to any even close of a conclusion that only 100,000 people have been saved. Therefore, the Lord is not going to bring everybody when he comes.
I mean, I don't care how you cut it. Ten thousands, even if it were 200,000 or 400,000, even if you could find a sly way of showing that it's more than 100,000, 100,000 or 200,000, I would even venture to say one million, just, just to be gracious, would be an extremely small number against the number of the people from 2,000 years that have actually gotten saved, been born again. Now, if the Lord's only going to bring ten, uh, ten, tens of thousands, that means he's not bringing everybody. So what's the second coming going to be like? Who's going to come? Who's going to be in that number? Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. Does that mean not everybody's going to be in that number? Now, let me give you just a quick thought on the side. When the Lord wanted us to understand spiritual matters, he said, look at the birds. And he says, uh, for example, with Noah, there was a blackbird and there was a, a, a dove. And the dove, when, it, found no, when, it, found, when it, it didn't come back, once it found a resting place for its feet. But that raven was more than likely floating on hippopotamus carcasses and giraffe carcasses. You have to think about the theology of birds. In, in, uh, in English, we say, he's a strange bird, isn't he? That means he's, he's kind of not altogether there. In German, we say, er hat ein Vogel. He has a bird. Uh, or we call somebody bird brains when they do something stupid. And the Holy Spirit says, and behold, I saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, a bird. And then in, in Matthew chapter 13, he said, a, a seed of, of mustard, a mustard seed planted into the earth grows up to be a great tree where all the fowls of heaven. That's not a good thing. I can't believe how many Christians teach that as a good thing. That's a bad thing. All those fowls of the air, they're unclean spirits. And the one time he said, who are you? He said, legion, for we are many. <laughs> now, if you look up legion, legion at a minimum is 2,000. That guy had 2,000 little bitty flying things inside of him. Unclean spirits. <clears throat> a fly is a nasty thing. A fly in my, a, a gnat on a, on a picnic day while you're trying to eat your watermelon, that's a devil to me. <laughs> a mosquito, that's a devil. The Lord wants you to understand things that are spiritual by way of things that are physical. For example, he said, consider God, Solomon and all of his glory and the glory and, and, and in the fields. They, they toil not, neither do they spin. It says Solomon and all of his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. So he said, you want to understand something about glory? Look at a field of grass. The grass withereth, the, the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord. See, every time the Lord wants to say, look at something spiritual. Let me explain something physical to get you to understand the spiritual. So why did I say that? Because we're at a place in the sermon now where I've said Jesus Christ is coming back. Every Christian who has the spirit of God in him has a desire for righteousness. We like to see the bad. Let, let, me, let me just give you one more. I was in South Carolina close to the coast, and I'm tanking up my car. I've got, I've got the diesel on, and all of a sudden I hear the Doppler effect. I hear from afar, and car, cop cars left and right started pulling up over the, over the, uh, the uh, uh, curb, and they pulled in all towards the building. Before it was all over and done, there was about 17 cop cars all around this one building. And of course, the entire neighborhood just stopped. People come out from their, people stopped and got out of their cars. They're looking. Why? Because we're Americans that watch movies and we want to see somebody get shot or we want to see the blood. That's just the way Americans are. Probably worse than any other people in the face of the earth. And of course, they're just like, just like the rest of them. I'm pumping my gas and I'm going like that. And I can't tell you, 
on my lips, I said, God help the good guys win. I had no idea what was going on. And when I saw them with a fella doing the perp walk like this, in my heart, I said, yes, yes, the bad guy got it. I don't know what he did, but the good guys got the bad guys. Amen. It made me feel good. We like to see the good guy win. We love the underdog. You see this little scrawny kid, you know, that the wind just blow him away and he's going to wrestle this big giant and the big giant is boastful and all that. And the little kid goes up to him and he punches him right in the solar plexus. He curls over. David and Goliath, we love to see the little guy win. We like to see the good guy win. So if you want to understand Jesus Christ, look at a rock, look at a lamb, look at a lion. If you want to understand something about spiritual circumcision, look at physical circumcision. Uh, if you want to understand, there's so many things. Now, we're at the halfway point. Come to Isaiah chapter 10. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because I haven't explained it all yet. Look at Isaiah chapter 10. So once again, I found myself reading my Bible, just being faithful to do what the Lord told me to, not because I understand it all, but because He told me to. And I'm probably like you. You get to certain books of the Bible and you... You, you flip, you go from Ezra, Nehemiah, and somewhere, and then you get over there to Chronicles, and you go, you, you take, pick up your Bible reading record for the day, and you go, Chronicles, and you go, okay, here we go. Am I the only one that does that? No. Or, or you get to some of those places where it's the Chronicles sometimes are very interesting, but you get to those, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, <laughs> and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and you think, oh, Lord, and, and you get in the middle of all the he begats, and there were this many snuffing dishes and this many spoons and this many oxen. And he made up the, and from this tribe, he did this. And you go, oh, Lord, is this really necessary? And the Lord says, read, son, just read. You know, I used to be bothered when people looked aside or studied, counted how many dots were on the ceiling while I was preaching. But I have learned, which is exactly what I just prayed, whether it's preaching or reading or just sitting quietly and meditating, the Lord can take you in your mind to a place that you need to go while you're doing something that would otherwise be counted boring. I would even venture to say that a less flashy preacher, a less talented preacher, could even be more used of the Holy Spirit because the Lord wants to take you specifically in your mind to a certain place. I hope you're following me. So I'm in this odd place in my Bible reading and I read this thing that I've read I don't know how many dozen times before. And I'm reading Isaiah chapter 10, and I get down to verse 26. <clears throat> a very, a very, uh, let's see, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 25. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. All right, I've got a basic idea of what's going on. The Lord's angry. He said it's going to be just a little bit more time, and he said it's all going to be over soon. 26. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him. If you look, it's the Antichrist. I'm not going to take the time to look at it. But he said, he shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. And I don't know how many times I've read that and I just go, I don't have any idea what he just said. It's Bible talk. It's, it's this is going to do something. Somebody's mad and somebody's going to really get hurt. And I don't know when it's going to happen or who this is exactly pertaining to. But one day I said, you know what? I'm tired of reading things that I don't understand. I said, okay, here's what I've got. 
It's whatever's going to happen, it's going to be done like some slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And I said, okay, if this is real, then let's just do a quick search. Is there anything in the Bible about Midian, a slaughter, and Oreb? And curiously enough, there's only one. There's only one place it shows up. And what we're talking about here in context is it's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him coming back. And so inasmuch as the Lord said, do you want to understand me? Look at a lion. Do you want to understand spirits, clean and unclean? Look at the birds. And so likewise, the Lord says, do you want to understand something about that time? Look back at that time. And so what you find in the Bible many, many times is you'll get much more information, details from the book of Daniel about the Antichrist, about what's coming, about, about who's going to do what and when and where, the battles, how big, how wide, how many people. You'll get them more from the Old Testament because to understand this, you've got to understand this. That's why somewhere between 30 and 50 years old, kids want to talk to their parents about what used to happen. Because they find out, Mom, I'm, got, I'm starting to have problems. I'm, I'm having a... When I'm pregnant now, Mom, did you have problems in pregnancy? To understand what's coming, talk to those who have been through it. So likewise here, he said that it's going to be a slaughter of Midian at the Rock of Oreb. So let's go back to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. And let's find out. And now here is the main point of my message this, this evening. I asked you in the beginning if you are qualified for the battle of Armageddon. Because the Lord said that the battle of Armageddon is going to be like this conflict that we're getting ready to look at. And what the Lord did in this conflict was it started with 32,000 men and he took them down to 300 men. The 32,000 were too many. I think that's appropriate for this evening. Pastor said at least twice, maybe three times, well, before we came over here, he said, oh, brother, I got a text. Oh, brother, I got an email. Oh, it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, not a lot of people in church tonight. Oh, I wish there were more people to hear you. Maybe there'll be some people online uh, watching you, listening, and, and praise the Lord for all that. I know what that feels like. You want your guest preacher to have as many people watching and, and, and listening as possible so church can benefit from it. But the Lord, just His personality, He likes to use things and numbers that seem insignificant to man. My hope is, my earnest hope before God, and as I preach with all of my heart, as if I'm preaching to a thousand people, is that maybe some boy or some girl is sitting here, maybe even coloring, or maybe some woman or man, or mother or father, and the Lord is going to use one little thing that's said to start something in their life, to spark something in their life, that's going to be useful to the Lord in the future. So if you would, turn with me to Judges chapter 7. And I will begin explaining the meat of my message <clears throat> as we draw all the pieces together. Judges chapter 7 in verse 25. It says this, Judges 7 in verse 25. It says, it says, and they took the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. Now, I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I don't know what your relationship to God's Word is. I know that when I was a young man and I started reading the Old Testament, I would constantly suck my teeth and go, 
Ugh. I would sigh and roll my eyes and say, why do I need to know that these people killed each other back thousands of years ago? This makes no sense to me. Why should I even care? I'm 18, I'm 19, I'm 20. I remember saying that upwards when I was 22, 23 years old. And old preachers and older Christians just kept saying, read the Old Testament. There's more there than you think. And now here I am at the tender age of 48 years old, having discovered that some banal message, or some banal uh, uh, common everyday garden variety, average battle where somebody got killed with weird names is a map to the way the Lord is going to set up and conduct the battle that I am most interested in. I get tired just like you. I'm probably going to sleep like a baby tonight. But there is something inside of me, no matter how old or infirm or fat that I am, no matter how much food I've got sitting on my stomach, that wants to be in that number. When Jesus Christ stands up and we all walk towards that stables, we all, whoever of us get to go, and we get on horses, and we are like the Marines, Force Recon, the first ones into the battle to shut down the Antichrist, the one that splits your marriage, the one that has ill-affected your kids, the one that is responsible for COVID, to be able to kick him in the seat of his pants, toss him off into the lake of fire, and to be able to rejoice seeing that, that's exciting to me. That is exciting to me. I don't, know how, I don't care how you cut it. It's exciting. I want to be there. I, I want to see the bad guy get it. I want to see him get tossed off into the lake of fire. I want to see him go, ah! <laughs> and I want to say, you jerk. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You devil. And then to sing with a whole bunch of people. And he shall reign forever and ever. I mean, all these people with these beautiful bodies and these beautiful faces Beautiful voices in beautiful robes where nobody's got to go to work the next day. Nobody's tired. Nobody's sick. There are no hospitals. And we're singing to the glory of God. Jesus is smiling and Satan is rolling around in a lake of fire. Man, that's exciting. Man, that's exciting. I understand how difficult it is to get excited about something like that. When you got to pay your bills and tomorrow you got to make sure you pick up the groceries and you got to put some gas in the truck and all that stuff. But thank God you came to church tonight. Thank God you got here and you, you just get a refreshed glimpse of what is to come. And maybe you'll walk out of here humming, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Y'all hear about the priest that stuttered? So here's what happened. And, and this is the end of the story. Let's go back to the first part of the story, Judges chapter 7. Let's find out why, why did the Lord take this many saved people, according to our application, and only use that many of them? Oh Lord, I want to be in that number where the Lord took 32,000 in the Old Testament, only used 300. I'll go ahead and tell you the math. The math is, I wrote it down, 0.009375, about 1%. These are the true one percenters, if you remember that. They're not the rich. They're not the ones with the biggest 401ks or boats and mansions. Well, actually they are, the ones with mansions. They're the ones that serve Jesus Christ. But let's find out the criteria of what got these guys their job at the Battle of Armageddon. So look at me in Judges chapter 1, verse 7. 
7 verse 1. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, something that doesn't make sense to any white guy. There's not a Japhethite in this world that would say, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give them into the hands of the Midianites. That's just this complete, completely counterintuitive. If I have 32,000 men and I have to go to battle with another nation, I'm going to be saying, who can I make leagues with? Can I hire Blackwater? I need to get some mercenaries on the scene. I want to beef up my armament. I want to make sure we've got plenty of ammunition, food, supplies, and then we'll go to battle with everything we've got and we'll throw every piece of technology we've got at them. We'll shoot laser beams out of the sky. And the Lord said, no, no, you got too many people. Preacher, could you imagine the Lord looking at you with a full congregation and the church is saying, I'm tired of sitting this close to everybody. And you're think, they're saying, let's build a building, let's build a building. And the Lord says, no, you've got too many people. We need to thin them out. It doesn't match any of our theology. We think more is better. We think more money in the bank is better than less money in the bank. We think more people in church is better than less people in church. The Lord is different. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. Even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. I just don't think like you. I like to get more done with less. And we like to throw everything we've got at a project to make sure that we meet budget, that we're efficient, and that everything works. We don't think like the Lord. So he said, furthermore, he said, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give in the hand of the Midianites. He said, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. So the first filter that I want to present to you, yes, that was my introduction, <laughs> is they were braggadocious. They were inherently braggadocious. And the Lord said, I don't want to give you the opportunity to brag. Now, you, you don't have to be saved very long to not think about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, everybody who's been saved in this room for a cons consistent time, you like to tell how long you've been saved. You like to say how long you've been in church. Talk to a brother today, 69 years old. He said, I've ne my lips have never tasted alcohol, drugs, or I've never taken not even a puff of a cigarette. I'm 69 years old, and that's true of my son too. And it was his call to glory. And it's wonderful. And don't misunderstand me. Those are wonderful things. I've seen older men look at me and say, son, do you know how long I've been saved? And that is the answer sometimes in our pride because we tend to be braggadocious. I, I've heard people say, do, do you know who I am? <laughs> do you know who I am? Because we're braggadocious. We like to brag. I've had people tell me, my grandfather built this church, this church building. Uh, my great -grand I, Matter of fact, I was down in uh, Haddenhut which is uh, uh, Sinzendorf. He uh, gave a plot of land uh, there. He got it uh, in, in East Germany. And they created, it's interesting, Herrenhut, uh, the Lord's Watch. Uh, they created a Christian city. And I w went there and I met a woman who was extremely old. I think she was 97-ish. I know she was still in her 90s and I know it was high 90s. I sat next to her and I spoke up loud. I was respectful. And I said, Entschuldigen Sie. Sie sind aber lang hier gewesen. Wann haben Sie sich bekehrt? I said, you've been here a long time, clearly. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, when did you get saved? And she said, my great-great-grandfather 
built the building at the middle of town square here in this Christian city. I said, that is amazing, ma'am. I just, I didn't know if she didn't understand me or what. I asked her three times when she got saved. The third time she got angry with me. I said, my great, great, great grandfather built the building in the center of town. That was her testimony of salvation. Braggadocious. We tend to be braggadocious. Have I shown you pictures of my babies lately? Have I, let me show you my grandkids. We like to brag. That's the way we are. It's the way we are. I looked and there was none to help and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it, it upheld me. Charismatics today, Christians today are braggadocious people. They brag about their gifts, about their abilities, about their healings, about how many churches they started, about this, about that. And the right attitude, as I end this point, what the Lord cannot use in a braggadocious missionary, a braggadocious pastor, a braggadocious woman, man, child. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Pastors oftentimes feel like they need to thank everybody for everything. And we like to say thank Sister Jeanette for getting the flowers up on the altar and thank Brother uh, Bob for polishing down and cleaning up the pulpit. And we thank the such and such committee for doing this. And the announcements in church sometimes are so long with thanks. And then the preacher says with trepidation, did I leave anybody out? Because he's so afraid that somebody's going to be offended and leave if they're not thanked. How about we all get together and quit thanking each other and just thank God that we got out of hell. Thank God that we get to serve. Yeah. Not that somebody saw us serve. Yeah, that's good. Well, the next one is Judges chapter 7, verse 3. The first filter is, Lord can't use anybody's braggadocious. And so he said, there's too many people. He said in verse 3, Now therefore go, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. Two-thirds left. I mean, one time the Lord Jesus Christ fed a whole bunch of people. And then he looks at them and he says, by the way, while you're finishing off and swallowing down those last pieces of bread and fish, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And all of these people sitting around with their robes distended, because they just ate baskets of bread and fish and saw the miracles. They said, <clears throat> thank you for the meal. That's some pretty weird preaching. We're out of here. Thousands of people stood up and walked away. Jesus thinned them out. The difference between those people who were looking to get versus those people who were looking to give. Those people who were carnal versus those people who were spiritual. And then... To add insult to injury, he looks down at the 12 and he says, y'all want to go away too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of everlasting life. And that is the crowd that the Lord wants to work with. Things are on their head in Laodicea right now. The Lord cannot use someone who's fearful. The preacher stands up and he says something and they say, don't publish this online. We don't want our church to be known for... We're fearful. We're afraid. 
And the Lord said, I can't use you if you're afraid. Go home. Now, as God is my witness, I don't want anybody to leave this church because I preach this message. But the Lord said, I would rather use fewer people that were dedicated, that love God, fewer people that were engaged and really in it for the right reasons than the masses who are ho-hum, maybe, I feel offended, I don't like you, I think I'm going to sue the preacher in the church. The Lord said, I would rather use the, the, the people who are brave. And the thing that I marvel about is uh, at 48 years old, if still, if someone asked me if I were afraid, I would still say no even if I were. But here are men that were willing to say, they were willing to say, I'm scared and I'm going home. That amazes me. It amazes me. Are you afraid of what people are going to think about you if you give them a gospel track and ask them to come to church? Are you afraid if you step out in faith and start tithing again and maybe giving to missions? Some people have been giving the same $50 to missions for the last 20, 25 years. Do you think by faith you could maybe up that a little bit? I'm not saying that because I'm a missionary or because I hope to gain anything. I'm just saying some people are at the same place that they were decades ago. They've not done anything by faith for fear, fear of losing something that they can't trust the Lord with. We had a pretty, very pretty young girl in our church. Uh, she left church. She came to me. She looked at me like a father, Angie, like a mother. And she said, there are no young men in this church. I don't see any potential for me to get married in this church. She said, therefore, I am leaving this church and going to a charismatic church down the street. And I said, girl, I said, please. I said, why can't you trust God? Don't you believe God who can open up the, 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 the river and the, the ocean? And God, God can do anything. He can bring, and we've seen God put people together in miraculous ways. But here's a girl, 24, 25, 26 years old, and she's scared to death of becoming an old maid with no husband. And so she quits what she knows is good and right, and she runs to get it herself. And the Bible still says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things. There are people that are afraid of so many things. They're afraid of trusting the Lord. They're afraid. You know, one of the things that I saw in our church over and over and over and over again, and I preached on it so many times. Please listen. This is so important. If there is a sister or a brother in this church, outside of this church, anywhere that offends you, that hurts your feelings, that rubs you wrong, do you know what the Bible says about that? It says, go home and tell everybody on Facebook and leave that person in the dark. No, it doesn't. It says, go to that person. But you know why we don't? Because we're afraid. If I go up to my wife and say, honey, I've been very quiet for the last few days because three days ago you said this and it hurt to the bone. Now see, when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm reaching deep into my chest and I pull out my tender heart. And I sit it in front of my wife. And I say, you hurt me. And, and, I, and I want reconciliation. But you, and what we're afraid of is she's going to reach under here and grab a mallet, you know, like a cartoon, and go crush. We're afraid that if we go to our brother-in-law, sister-in-law, cousin, aunt, uncle, brother in church, our pastor... 
and say, brother, you've hurt my feelings. You've offended me. And I don't want this to be a burr in my saddle. I don't want to get bent out of shape about it. But I'm genuinely offended and hurt. Can we please talk about it? Because I want reconciliation more than anything. I have, I have looked high and low, far and long, and I cannot find a Christian with just a little bit of courage to go to their brother or sister. Or when somebody starts giving you the evil eye in church, you all know what that is. You walk in the door and it's just all of a sudden it's, I'm picking you. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah, good. Why? Because the man in blue did so. You have no idea what's going on, but then all of a sudden this fellow starts giving me the stink eye. Why? Because I've been giving him the stink eye. And now there's something and nobody knows what it is. And it goes like that for months until one of us leaves church. And what was it? I was looking at the guy behind him. <laughs> Man, you just don't know. But to find some Christians with courage to do the right thing, whether it's money or attendance or this or that or relationship, the Lord cannot use someone who's fearful. He can't use someone uh, who, 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 look at Judges chapter 7, verse 5. And so the Lord says with 10,000, there's still too many people. I can't use you. <coughs> In chapter 7 and verse 5, matter of fact, let's read verse 3. Uh, now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return. Twenty and two thousand leave. Verse 4, the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. At that point, I would be frustrated with the Lord. Lord, I have bills to pay. What do you mean my income is enough? It's not enough. Lord, what do you mean? My, Lord, oh, Lord, this is not enough. He said, it is enough if I'm involved. If I'm not involved, if you're looking to do this without me, you're right. It's probably not enough. But if I'm involved, I think, I think maybe that we just might get through. <laughs> you ever watch a six-year-old boy try to help dad? Dad's picking up like a big heavy armchair or something like that. And he's going like this and he's carrying it across the room. The little boy runs up and he puts his hands on it. He goes, ah, 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 ah. That's about us helping the Lord out. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord's doing all the heavy lifting. He knows exactly what he's doing. COVID didn't surprise him. There was a time probably about 12, 15 years ago, I was visiting with a brother and it was just an overnight deal. And, uh, and uh, I woke up the next morning and I was in a blue funk. I, I don't know if you ever confessed that, but just, just, just in a bad way, just, just kind of depressed and just kind of frustrated with the circumstances in my life. And I was sitting there eating my cereal and just, just eating myself from the inside out because of my mind. If he says this and I'm going to say that. <laughs> You know, it's called evil surmising. One of those things the Bible tells us not to do. You go to bed at night and you lay there on your pillow and you're staring up at the ceiling and say, yeah, but she's thinking this and I said that. And I said, oh, that's the way she... And then there's... And, you, and it's three o'clock in the morning and you're still thinking the person your enemy has bought a large parcel of, of territory in your brain and they're living there free of charge because you can't kick them out. So I'm sitting there eating myself from the inside out. And I, and I trusted myself to look up at this brother that I thought was older and mature and would understand and, and say, yeah, brother, that really stinks. But I said, blah, 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 blah
And I... <laughs> he said, I know, brother. He said, it's horrible. He said, did you hear that huge thud last night? Well, that's not it. I said, what? I mean, I thought this guy's off his rocker. I just said, blah, 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 blah. feel sorry for me. And he said, did you hear the big thud last night? I said, what are you talking about? He said, in the middle of the night, how did you not hear it? I'm thinking I was up half the night thinking about my enemy. I didn't hear a thud. What are you talking about? I'm thinking rainstorm, roof caved in, hail. What are you talking about? He said, God fell off his throne. All of the angels in heaven are worried death to death. There are lines outside of the hospital in heaven. They're not sure God's going to make it. And I said, I hate you. <laughs> the Lord is okay this evening. He's fine. They're not worried about COVID and this and that. And oh, man. Well, so he said, there's 10,000 is too many. He said, let's thin them out some more. He said, okay. Verse 5, so he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, it's not very clear exactly in the beginning what he said, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by, by himself. But is that good or bad? I'm not sure. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. So here's this and then that one. You're still not sure who's who. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. And on the rest, all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And so the Lord said this, and this is basically the way it looks. He said, take them down to drink water and watch them. 10,000 guys, 9,700 went like this. Is this safe? Is that going to tip over? Okay. 9,700 guys go like this. <laughs> Drip, drip, drip. Okay? This is very articulate, refined, highly theological preaching here. I hope I'm not boring you. And it says 300 of them went down like this and they went. Now what's the difference? These guys could care about nothing less than assuaging their own thirst. Me, 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 and what's happening around me, nobody cares. I don't care. I'm just thirsty, and there's nothing more important. Give me thy pottage. I'll sell you my birthright. I want satiation right now. I want satisfaction. And the other fellows said, man, I am thirsty as I can be, but I have got to keep my eyes open. I'm, I'm, I'm about to perish for, th for thirst, but I've got to keep my eyes on my brethren. I've got to watch the, the, the ridges above us, the valleys beneath us. I've got to keep my eye on the ball. I need to walk circumspectly like it's going to be written in the book of Ephesians in not too many thousand years. They drank wrong. The third category and what makes you qualified or disqualified for the battle of Armageddon, the Lord said, I'm going to do up here what I did back here. I'm going to take everybody who's ever been saved and I'm going to weed them out for being braggadocious, for being fearful, and for having a drinking problem. This drinking problem is not necessarily cognac or whiskey. This drinking problem is what do you consume to satiate your spiritual thirst? My mother used to watch Days of Our Lives as the world turns. And watch these cheap, exaggerated characters cheat, swindle, scandal, steal, and mother would sit there and just go, 
They have a drinking problem. The amazing thing about dogs, dog is man's best friend. You turn a dog loose and there's a lake of fresh water. There's a water hose running where clean, fresh, filtered water is coming out. What does the dog do? He runs to the nastiest, little bitty, stinky, brown mud puddle. And he goes, <laughs> trying to satiate his soul on unclean things. Christians have a hard time sometimes because they're trying to make themselves happy. I've heard of men. I've even done it. They go up into the attic and get their old high school yearbook. Sit down at the tender age of whatever, <laughs> old. <laughs> old where you're twice the man you used to be. And sit down and thumb through as you think, glory days. And you see yourself in a football uniform and you see this and you see that. And you're thinking about how good things used to be. You know, if women read romance novels and then the husband comes home from a plumber's job covered in dirt, can take off his pants and they'll stand themselves in the corner. He's got the typical what we call plumber's behind where he bends over and you see just, I mean, it's nothing that they're going to show on TV. It's nothing attractive, but it's your husband. And if the husband is looking at things on the Internet and spending all of his time with, with Colgate and the beautiful models and trying to satiate his soul with things that cannot benefit, and you come home and your wife has got her hair up in curlers, and she's wearing something that does not look like a model would wear, and the Satan whispers in your ear, you can do better than this. I don't believe I'm off base here, because over 50% of the marriages end in divorce nowadays. And they do because people are trying to satiate themselves assuage their thirst in places that are dirty. They have drinking problems. People say, I don't have time to read my Bible. Let me walk around with you for 48 hours and I promise I will find one hour of your day when you can read your Bible. If you'll turn the TV off, if you'll quit surfing on Facebook and being a voyeur into other people's business, I can find an hour in your life. I can find an hour in your life. If you were honest, you could find an hour in your life. It's not too much to ask of you to sit down and commune with your God for an hour each day. An hour? Oh, my soul! Well, most movies last an hour and a half. I, I, a preacher told me the other day, Brother, I can't preach longer than 30 minutes. He said, they'll all get upset with me. I said, these hypocrites, they're the same ones that sit down and watch the new Star Wars movie that's like 14 hours long. I don't know, but I know it's very long. At least I've been told. <coughs> Drinking at this point is, is symbolic for what a Christian consumes. The men knelt to drink, but they had absolutely no regard for anyone else. Do you know, if you're just a Sunday school teacher over six-year-olds, and you spend your time taking in the wrong thing, that stuff is going to seep through. Have you ever been into a Chinese store and talked to the people that work behind the counter? They oftentimes smell like garlic. Have you ever talked with an Asi Asiatic person? I'm not being racist. I'm just saying this is true. You get talked to a Vietnamese. They smell like the food that they consume. And so likewise, the spiritual food that you consume, the things that make you laugh, the things that, that, make, that, that get your heartbeat up, the things that get you excited, that's going to seep through your pores and people are going to smell that character on you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So if you want to be in that number, if you genuinely love righteousness, if you'd really like to be one of the first ones on the ground to see the Antichrist and the devil and the false prophet and, the, and all those guys get kicked off, don't brag on yourself. Don't brag on your church. Don't brag on your preacher. I told our church over and over again, I said, don't brag on me and don't brag on Miss Angie. Brag on the Lord. The Lord has been good enough to all of us. Don't talk about how big your church is or how wonderful your church is or how great the programs in your church are. Brag on Jesus Christ. If the Lord happens to use you, if the Lord happens to accomplish something through you that's wonderful, you say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, I just have an automatic sort of Pavlovian response when somebody comes up to me with big eyes and says, oh, will you sign my Bible? That was the greatest sermon that I've ever, ever heard. I say, praise the Lord, and I sign it with all of the sobriety in the world, knowing that I am a dirty, rotten, filthy dog, that if I don't watch it, I'm going to be drinking out of the mud puddles of this world too. Think about it. One of these days, there's going to be a trumpet. At the last trump, maybe this next four years will be the last trump. <laughs> At the last trump, maybe that's how he meant it. And we're going to hear... And all of a sudden we're going to start, and I'm going to look down and my belly will be gone. And I'm going to be tall and, and I'm going to be all of a sudden in a white robe. And then I'm going to see people coming up. And then all of a sudden. And I'm going to bam, land before the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to get down. He's going to tell me everything good and bad and dishonest and everything that I did. I hope nobody else gets into the room while he does that. I hope it's just me and him. I'm going to settle conflicts that were not settled down here with brethren of, who said, we'll see you before the judgment. I have about three. Three that want to handle this before the Lord. I know what it's going to be like. It's going to be put your head down, don't lift your head up. And how dare you lift up your head and say, well, Jesus, he did this and, did, and then he did this. And then you're going to look down at those nail prints and your eyes are going to go down. And before long, you'll be on your face weeping I'm sorry that I didn't handle this when I was down there. And we're going to get through the whole judgment, and then the Lord says, there's a big meal over in the auditorium, over in the next room. And a couple of who knows how many millions of people are going to walk across in white robes with no belt, praise God. And he's going to serve us lamb, and there's going to be fresh fruit, and there's, going to be, there's not going to be any keto diet. There's not going to be any Atkins diet. Amen. It's going to be all you can eat, and you can eat it all. And you can go, mm, nom, 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 nom. and the Lord says, how is it? And Lord, it's heavenly. And we're going to talk and eat, and we're going to say, I am so sorry for being such a knucklehead. I'm so sorry I held that against you. I know, brother, it's so stupid. Praise God we're here. And it's going to be a time. And then at the end of it, we're all sitting back and going, oh, that was so good. Oh, it was so good. And you didn't sin. You didn't sin. You didn't sin. You didn't overeat. And the Lord, you hear that throne slide across that floor. He just goes, and he stands up. Now watch in the Bible when Jesus stands up. 
Acts chapter 7. Boy, that means something. And, uh, and then the Lord, he says, all right, I think we're ready for the next step. And guys left and right just start standing up and saying, all right, let's go. Let's go down to the stables. Let's pick our horses on the way in. I already saw the horse I want. And the Lord says, you, you sit down, sit down, sit down. And you, and he picks out of the 32,000, this many. And he said, you are Force Recon. You are SEAL Team number seven. Mount up, boys. And those men who were not braggadocious except on the Lord, those men and women who were not fearful of anything but the Lord, and those people who had, did not have a drinking problem but satiated themselves on the words of the living God, will mount up on horses, will ride down through the cosmos, and with music and action and THX, and in a way that I can barely even imagine, and we're going to have little peons come up to us with spears and go, ha, and it's going to go, and we're going to look at them and say, ha, 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 and we'll go, quick, quick, quick. And laser beams and fire and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> and CNN says, uh, the Jewish dictator and all of his troops are here. <laughs> Do you think as a Jewish And just little piles of goo everywhere. And he shall reign forever and ever. And then the, man, the, oh, it's going to be something. Do you want to be in that number? Would you like to be part of that? God knows I do. I want to more than I even know how to express it. So let's stand this evening. The one percenters. It's not hard. It doesn't require money or education. It just requires a desire. Just take a few minutes this evening, if you would, bow your heads right there where you are. I don't know where you are in your mind. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I know at my age, I don't act like I did when I was in my 20s. I can imagine if you're older than me, that there's some sense of being tired. But in those days, in the coming days that I'm speaking of, there is no such thing as tiredness. There's only pure, perfect energy in a perfect body waiting on us. And maybe you've taken your eyes off the prize. Maybe you've allowed this life to overwhelm you with all of its responsibilities and all of its burdens. You've been saved a long time, but you've just... You used to take pleasure in the Bible and reading it and being happy and excited, but you've been disappointed so many times. You've been hurt. I promise you the Lord never hurt you. Maybe you've allowed the brethren to make you depressed and hurt and take your eyes off of Jesus. When the scriptures say very, very plainly, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And uh, let's take a hymn book this, this evening, if we would. Take a hymn book. Or sister, if you would, just play. We'll let everybody continue praying. If you would like to pray where you are, you may. If you'd like to come forward, you may do that. But boy, before we go home tonight, it sure would be good 
just for saints all across the building to be thankful to the Lord that this is the way it's going to end.